Welcome, everybody. If you haven't already worked out, we're in the middle of a series about spiritual gifts. Um, and it's, it's, for me, it's a strange paradox that I'm standing here talking about spiritual gifts. For most of my Christian life, I've had, honestly, I have to say, I've had very little knowledge about spiritual gifts, even though I would say I absolutely believe in them. So if that sounds like you, be reassured. But I'm really pleased that we're in the middle of this series. Um, last year, a few of us from here went to uh, Belfast to CFC uh, to hear a guy called John Thompson, um, a Canadian pastor who had written some couple of books about this. Um, and his teaching really impacted me um, in, a, in a way that I even now kind of am processing. And I kind of thought, everyone needs to know about this. This church will never grow into its fullness of what um, we are going to be unless we push into these God-given gifts. So old dogs can live, uh, learn new tricks, and here we are today. So it seems like ages ago now, but back in January, uh, you might remember, Chris introduced this series. And so we've been building week on week with a sense of anticipation and excitement. But Chris uh, set the context for the spiritual gifts, that the gifts are not something we are born with or something that we've learned necessarily or something we've acquired but that they're given to us they are a pure gift and we're eagerly we're encouraged to eagerly seek the gifts but we're also reminded that the gifts are are there to be used in love so that well-known passage that is read at weddings endlessly first corinthians 13 is preceded by first corinthians 12 which says now about the gifts of the spirit brothers and sisters i do not want you to be uninformed and then in 1 Corinthians 13, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So uh, we, we know that these gifts are given uh, to help us to love better. Then Debbie reminded us um, about the parable of the talents, that everyone is given something, um, and that we are to steward what we have been given. God expects our lives to be lives of flourishing for kingdom purposes. And then, two weeks ago, I think it was, Brona reminded us um, about the uh, picture, the model that Paul presents in Corinthians of the body. And the purpose of spiritual gifts are for the benefit of the body. So, if I may remind you, now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. In 1 Corinthians 12. Um, uh, and more importantly, God has carefully placed the parts of the body exactly where he wants them to be. Your spiritual gift or gifts are given just for you so that you can play your unique part in the functioning of the whole body. So in verse 12, all these are the work of one and the same spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So you must be wondering, when are we actually going to talk about the gifts? And just when you thought all that context setting was finished, I'm going to add another layer today, but we are going to talk about the gifts. But before we talk about the gifts, I, I want to uh, point you again to a well-known story in the book of John. The book of John, as I'm sure you've worked out, is arranged differently from the other Gospels. The other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are what we know as synoptic Gospels. And so it, they tell the story of Jesus, more or less chronologically, selecting certain materials for, for different uh, audiences. But the book of John is written quite differently. So the book of John is written more like a biopic, an overview of the life of Jesus 
telling us about who this man, who's really God, uh, is all about. So particularly when you read the Gospel of John, it's important to ask yourself, why did John select this story and put it in this place? What is he trying to tell us? So I had this little epiphany recently when I was reading John 2. I don't have many epiphanies. Had a well-known story of Jesus turning water into wine. You know the story. Jesus had started his teaching and had gathered his disciples around him. And he was invited to a wedding in Cana, which is just a few miles from where he grew up in Nazareth in Galilee. Um, and we expect that Jesus probably is the wedding of someone he may well have known, maybe even a distant relative. And we know that Mary was invited, and probably there were other members of Jesus' family there. And so the story goes that the festivities were well advanced when Mary picked up some discomfort from the family hosting the wedding. The wine was running out. I don't know what Mary expected when she spoke to Jesus. She had watched her son grow up, and we know that she treasured all these little observations about his life in her heart. But how did she know that this was the moment that Jesus was to do something? This was a spirit moment The Spirit prompted something in her, a gift of knowledge, gift of discernment, gift of faith. We don't know exactly, but Mary was given something for this moment, for this family and for her son. Her action came from a place of love, both for her family and for her son. But why has John chosen to set this story right at the start of the narrative about Jesus? This story isn't even recorded in the other Gospels. And I think John wants us to understand something about the mission of Jesus through this story. So what did Jesus do? He took ordinary water, used for nothing more than washing, and turned it into something sublime. The wine was taken to the master ceremonies, and I can see the master take that first sniff of the wine, and then taste the wine, taking that first sip, letting it settle on his palate and appreciate the layers of flavor, until it revealed its lingering finish. He knew he was tasting something uh, great. And I can imagine the smile that came across his face uh, when he realized that the best wine had been kept to the last. So what do I think John is trying to tell us? I think he's saying that this miracle foretells what Jesus is going to do. He's going to take something ordinary, ordinary sin-filled humans, and transform him into something sublime. He's going to turn us into his masterpieces. Then at the end, he's going to take us, his church, and present them to his father. And his father's going to say to the son, you've saved the best to last now. You see, even now, the father appreciates the aroma of the developing wine in us. But a time will come when he will declare that we are complete. He will taste us and declare to the Son his pleasure at what we have become. Now, some of you know I recently started a spiritual direction course, and that's proved to be a big challenge to me because um, I have homework to do. Um, And I really struggle to read a book to the end, but I'm pleased to report I've read four whole books in the last few months. And the book I'm currently reading is a book... um, some of you may have heard of it called, by David Benner called The Gift of Being Yourself. And then it he says, our deepest human need is to be known. We all desire to be known and loved. 
loved and known. And here's the thing. We're not able to know God unless we know ourselves. And this isn't a new idea. Right back in the fourth century, Augustine, one of the early church fathers said, prayed, may I know you, may I know myself. And John Calvin, not really known as a contemplative at all, says there's no deep knowing of God unless a deep knowing of self. And there's no deep knowing of self without a deep knowing of God. So you may not have thought of this before, but your deepest desire is to be known. And you yourself are on a quest to discover who you are. God knows who you are. Beyond the image we present to the world, beyond what we do and the many roles we play, beyond our anxieties and fears, beyond our talents and skills, beyond the brokenness inside us, we hope no one will see. Beyond the secret things, the dark things, we hide even from ourselves. God knows who you truly are. He knows your deepest longings, your heart's desires. He knows the real you, the one that is capable of loving without boundaries. He knows you because he created the true you. And because he knows you, he knows what scratches your itch. He knows what fullness of life looks just for you. You see, you're not the sum of your likes and dislikes, the things you enjoy doing your knowledge and experience. You're more than your talents and skills. You're not your appearance or your body shape. You're not what you do, although that's really important. You're not just a parent or a carer, although those are probably the most important things you'll do in your life. Beyond being a father or a mother, a wife or a husband, a boss or an employee, a doctor or a postman, beyond all those things, there's you. So listen to this quote, right? It's gonna come up here. <clears throat> the self that begins the spiritual journey is the self of our own creation, the self we thought ourselves to be. This is the self that dies on the journey. The self that arrives is the self that was loved into existence by divine love. This is the person we were destined from eternity to become, the I that is hidden in the I am. That's from David Benham. So being known is ultimately about being loved and valued. Being known is the discovery of the real you that God loves, the essence of you, who he brought into existence to reflect who he is. You are a unique representation of God. You don't yet know your true self. Life is this uh, discovery, this quest to discover who you are. You're not who you think you are, but deep down you know you're there. So life is this journey, and you're in the process of becoming your truest self. But how do we discover who we truly are? Paul talks about this whole process as a journey to maturity. So I'm going to uh, transport you back to the First Corinthian church, because much of what we talk about uh, around gifting is, is set in that context. So Paul first visited Corinth, which is an affluent trading city, around AD 50. He stayed there for two years, and during that time, a number of people came to faith. Uh, the church was probably, became probably one of the biggest churches, uh, and probably they expected maybe, maybe 40 or 50 members. Uh, and the church was a mixture of Gentiles and Jewish converters. The community included the wealthy and the worker, the government official and the slave. And then after two years of being there, Paul then moved on to Ephesus. But sometime later, Paul received visitors from the Corinthian church. 
and heard that all was not well. They had started to argue with one another and a kind of competitive personality cult had started. All sorts of factions and cliques had developed. They argued about who they were. They argued about the spiritual gifts. The communion meal that was meant to be shared by all had been usurped by some and they met on their own and drank all the wine. Things had become so bad that they started taking each other to court. And with all those distractions, they had allowed sexual immorality to grow. So what had gone so wrong? When we read Paul's reply back to them, what we now have is the first letter of Corinthians. You can sense his disappointment and his love. These were his children. Paul says in chapter 5, For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. But things had really deteriorated. They were squabbling children who had become embroiled in playground politics. And right in the middle of it, they'd started to compete over spiritual gifts. It took me back to my days at school. I don't know if you remember trump cards. Maybe you need to be a certain age. For the younger ones, I think Yu-Gi-Oh cards would have been your thing. But I remember, you know, there used to be this competition in the playground about whether your trump card was better than others. And that's exactly what had happened in this church. They had started to play trump cards with the spiritual gifts. My gift is more important than yours. And the spillover in the church, particularly in the church services, was chaos. And of course, what gift was elevated? The loudest, most visible gift. The one that everyone couldn't fail to notice. The gift of tongues. And behind it all, they felt they had gained this superior knowledge. These Corinthians, many of whom had come from humble backgrounds, we know Paul said, not many of you are wise by human standards, felt that they had arrived. Paul had spoken of how the gospel would transform them, that in Jesus they would discover who they truly were. Uh, and now they had uh, gained access to the full spectrum of spiritual gifts, and it was total bedlam. But I want you to listen to what, how Paul writes to them. At the beginning of 1 Corinthians, he says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. Thus God confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, Paul was a good parent. And what do good parents do? They guide their children. They teach their children, both by what they say and what they do. They provide wise counsel. They comfort their children when things go wrong. They desire that their children will grow up to become good people who confidently take their place in the world. They advocate for their children. And in this long letter, Paul does all that. But he'd come to a conclusion about the root of their problem. So in 1 Corinthians, um, he says, We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. Similarly, we are God's children, um, and we're on a journey to maturity as well. And we need parenting. Paul gives us this model for being a good spiritual parent. But it struck me 
that our ultimate parent is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our counselor, our teacher, our comforter and our advocate. The Holy Spirit shows us when we make poor choices, convicts us of sin, leads us into all truth and empowers us. It's the Holy Spirit living within us that transforms us. And when I was preparing for the day, I had this memory or recollection of um, learning to ride a bike. Um, and I remembered the day my father decided I was ready. So he, he took my little bike into the garage and he took a stabilizer off and uh, put me on the bike and I fell off. But then I learned that if I leaned a bit to one side, uh, I could actually uh, stay up. So then he decided after a while that he would take the other stabilizer off, I fell off. He came and picked me up and brushed my knees and, and I remember him running behind me, no stabilizers, giving instruction as I took off, holding on to me. And I didn't even realize when he had let go. And when I got to the bottom of the road successfully, uh, I looked back and he had this huge smile on his face. Um, and I, I thought, when I thought about parenting, I thought, that's what good parenting looks like. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Holy Spirit knows exactly what we need to bring us to maturity. And here's the thing. I think that the spiritual gifts are chosen for us to bring us to maturity. I think that the spiritual gifts, um, that the Holy Spirit's a good parent and he knows exactly what gift to give in each season of our lives to bring us to maturity, to the fullness of who we're becoming. So finally, let's look at the spiritual gifts. Let's remind ourselves of our preferred definition. I think it's a slide, yep. Spiritual gifts are spiritual endowments or abilities given by God to enable us to serve others in God's power and love for the purpose of building up the church to make an impact in the world. Spiritual gifts in the New Testament use the Greek word charism, and that is the, also the gift for grace. So we understand that spiritual gifts are pure gift. We are entrusted with spiritual gifts. You don't own them. They're not something you collect like trump cards. Um, but we're going to look at the, the four key passages about spiritual gifts. So I want you just to relax and listen to these almost four voices. So I think Chris is going to start. Have we got a... Oh, there we are. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles or all prophets? Are all teachers, do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? 
Sharon, I think you're coming next with Ephesians 4. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Debbie. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all of the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, guys. As you can see, there's a huge diversity in the gifts. From the passages, you can also see there's almost a, like a different emphasis in each of the letters. In, in Corinthians, these gifts sound like very discreet um, uh, things, very discreet gifts. In Ephesians, the gifts sound more like rules. In Romans, uh, they sound like areas of ministry. And in First Peter, it almost feels like the gifts are almost divided into two like a classification into two gift groups. So I've done the hard work for you and I've pulled these gifts into this marvellous slide, most of which you probably can't read, but certainly if you're pumped. Um, there's copies of it in the uh, foyer for a pound each, if you want to. No, we'll get it sent out this week. Anyway. I love spreadsheets. Um, so I'll pull these into a matrix. Um, we even look at these, these lists of gifts and we realise that even that's not exclusive. There are other gifts. There are gifts like intercession and um, hospitality that aren't on there. And, and there's the gift that is probably the most requested gift, the gift of singleness we read about. And scholars have found all kinds of ways of categorizing the gifts 
all with some validity. But perhaps, and this is a, this is a quote that Alan sent, so I felt I had to read it out. Fee and Stevens have observed the most important thing. They, the gifts, appear in ways that make systemizing them nearly impossible. Uh, what's more important, I think, to understand is that you, you have been entrusted with a spiritual gift or gifts. And it is the dynamic interplay of your giftings that makes you, you, and us as a body, us. Before we move on to understand more about spiritual gifts, uh, we need to understand that they're different from spiritual fruit. As we are parented by Holy Spirit, it's ex expected that we all develop and express the fruit of the Spirit. When it says in Galatians that you are to be kind and patient and good, this isn't pick and mix. None are optional. I know for older men, grumpy older men, joy can be a bit of a challenge, but that's not optional. When we speak about fruit, we are talking about the character of Jesus developing within us, and character takes a lifetime to develop. Similarly, you might notice up there that faith is a gift, but faith is a cardinal tenant of the Christian church, as is hope, as is love. These things are not optional. In contrast, spiritual gifts are chosen for us by Holy Spirit, perhaps different gifts in different seasons of our life. From Brona's talk two weeks ago, we understand that these gifts are given to us for the building up of the body. You may be unaware of your gift, but it lies latent within you. You may use your spiritual gifts already and not even be aware that what you're using is a gift. Spiritual gifts are different from our natural gifts, uh, acquired gifting or skills. So natural gifts, have you got that slide? No? Thought I had one. Natural gifts are things that you're born good at. There we are. Um, acquired gifts are, are those that come uh, from, uh, that we develop or ways that we educate ourselves, like skills. But spiritual gifts are spiritual endowments given by the Holy Spirit to empower us for kingdom work. I think we have a real problem in the Western world particularly when it comes to choosing leaders, for example, both within and outside the church. We're often more attracted to those with natural or acquired gifts and skills than those that exhibit character. The church exactly isn't any different. Unfortunately, we've seen church leaders who have really become adrift because we've often been attracted to those with a natural charisma or ex exemplary speaking skills. But we've failed to discern if they're exhibiting faithful character and are humbly oper operating in their spiritual gifts. And of course, God can redeem all things. Our natural giftings can become a blessing to our church body. Look at our musicians and volunteers. Our acquired skills can be utilized fruitfully within our church. Just look at the skills it took to build this building. The level to which these things, our natural gifts and our acquired gifts, are spiritual, does not depend on whether they have come, it does not depend on us, but depends on how well they have come under the Lordship of Jesus and are used for his glory. So we need to keep a proper perspective on the nature of spiritual gifts. If we believe that these gifts come from God, to help advance his kingdom, then these gifts reveal something about the king. The gifts reveal his character. They reveal his love and power. So here's my take. Why are certain gifts given to certain people in certain seasons? I believe the Holy Spirit gives gifts to reveal something about who you're becoming. Let's think about 
uh, the parenting analogy. Uh, I was listening to a, a really great set of podcasts by a guy called John Mark Comer recently, and he was talking about how he keeps a notebook for each of his kids, and he notes what he observes about them, their inclinations and their developing interests. I think all good parents do this. Uh, how many of you keep a notebook? Hands up. Well, he, he, was, he was American, I don't know. So if we know when our kid is good at something and we want to encourage them, we enroll them in a sport or a hobby. But a good parent also notices areas where their kids are underdeveloping or recognizes some latent attribute that they believe will bring flourishing and encourages them in that area. What Holy Spirit knows is who you are and how you can bless others. All the spiritual gifts are ways for you to learn to love others. All the spiritual gifts are given to help us know more about the love and power of our Heavenly Father. So, how might you discover our spiritual gifts? John Thompson um, has written this really helpful book. I mean, he, this is the sort of talks that he gave back early last year, but I bought this book and I read it. I'm glad to tell you I finished this one. And as I read the book, I kept waiting for that chapter. Five surefire ways to know your spiritual gifts. I never found it. My sense is that there's no process or program that will absolutely for certain tell you what your spiritual gifts are. I think this is an organic process and perhaps that is why the illustration of the body is so important. How does a body grow? At one level we know there are all sorts of complex interactions between genetics and hormones and nutrition and social factors and all other sorts of things that make the body mature. But these can't be reduced to one or two things, a program or a process to make the body grow. As a church body, growing into our gifting is likely to be messy and unpredictable. Having said that, there are a few key pointers to follow which might help. And we're going to push into these in the next few weeks. So here's a few questions that we are things we need to consider. Firstly, ask God to show you what your spiritual gifts are. It may be something you've actually done before. Holy Spirit has already uh, prepared your gifts for you. And they're waiting for you. So ask and be expectant. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Secondly, ask others. You love and trust what they see in your life. Others will often see what you're not able to see. That's why we as leadership see uh, life groups as key in this. It's there that you share your lives with your brothers and sisters who love you. Pray for and with each other. And just one important proviso. Be careful not to reinforce what you think someone wants to hear. It's important to remember that our call to speak the truth and love to each other. So here's a number of questions you should be asking yourself over these next few weeks when you try to discern your spiritual gifts. What keeps following you? Why are you, do you find that you're asked to lead or pray or help? And John Thompson has a really helpful kind of analogy, and he talks about joining the dots. Look for the threads or traits that have recurrently surfaced in your life. The next thing to ask yourself is where do you find joy? What brings you life and energy? I love the picture John Thompson gives. He says that we may all have gifting that looks like coal embers glowing away, but when someone pushes into their spiritual gift, it just turns into a raging fire. Next, and this may sound a bit paradoxical, but ask 
where am I most frustrated? Sometimes, where you feel that sort of righteous anger, uh, it may well be a latent gifting in you. When you ask yourself, why does this church not do more for poor people? It may well be that you have the gift of mercy. And finally, it is helpful and mature prayer to ask God to show you what you're not gifted in. There can be a real sense of release as you come to appreciate where you're not gifted. And it may enable you to really celebrate the gifts others have as they serve the body. Remember, if we are to see the body grow into maturity, we must all discover our unique contribution. Be aware of gift envy. Remember, comparison is the thief of joy. So finally, I want to pull all the threads of this morning together. There's that little, what I feel is quite an enigmatic little cluster of verses at the end of 1 Corinthians 13. After that passage, I would love is patient, love is kind. But I think it really helps us understand why the spiritual gifts are given to us. So reading from 1 Corinthians 13, verse, yep, that's it, verse uh, 8. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the things, the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And now these things three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So we spent this morning talking about the importance of knowing your spiritual gifts. And here we read, they're transitory. They're going to cease. They're going to be stilled. They're going to pass away. So why then are the gifts given? Because, Paul explains, these gifts have a job to do. They are there to bring us to maturity to help us to grow from being mere children to being fully-fledged adults. You see, the gifts are not the thing. Who you're becoming is the thing. The mature growing up, you as part of the mature body of Christ. The function of the gifts, chosen just for you, is to help you discover who you are and to experience God's power uh, of love in your life. This is what the Corinthians had failed to see. So currently, you do not know your true self, just a reflection in a mirror. Now you know yourself in part, but one day you will arrive and see your truest self. Then you, you will know yourself as the Father has always known you. You will finally see the masterpiece, the fine wine that you have become. You will know yourself as you have always been known. And do do you know what you'll see? You'll see Jesus before you and within you face to face. The Holy Spirit is a good parent who wants to bring us to maturity. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, gives us these gifts to help us uh, on that journey. But I wondered as I came to the end of preparing this, uh, you know, do we see Jesus as a good parent? And it struck me, of course, Jesus is a great parent. He cares for his sheep. He is a good shepherd. 
The good shepherd loves the sheep. He leads them to still waters. He restores their soul. He comforts them. He goes after them. He stays them from danger. Jesus is our good parent who loves his children and desires that they flourish. So I hope um, I've, the Holy Spirit is creating a sense of anticipation for you in these next few weeks as we push into discovering more about these spiritual gifts. My real sense is our good shepherd is leading us into places of flourishing, tables that are laid out for us. So let's prepare our hearts and minds for what he, want, what he wants to do in us. Rona, I think, is going to come and lead us in communion now.